Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You may notice something about my voice today. It's a little bit beat up. But don't worry, it's not the vid. It is a cold, however. Thought I might dodge this one. Really did. I I didn't think there was a chance at first because little guy was snotting away, whatever it was. It was like two Mondays ago at this point. And then the, the bigger kid caught it three or four days after that. And then the, then the nanny caught it a few days after that. I thought, come on, I'm, I'm slipping through. I don't know how I'm slipping. And then I got it. And it finally, like late last week, I could feel it starting to happen. You know, when you get that, that little tickle and then it, it moved into the sinuses now. So uh, this pod's going to be a little bit shorter, mostly because vocal strength is not terrific today and kind of hasn't been for a couple of days here. Uh, but we're going to move our way through it as best we can because we still have things to cover, even though it's the off season, we got plenty of things to do here on the show. I, uh, I thought there might be something as a little bit dumb of me to uh, hope that news broke over the weekend, but there was nothing on the Donovan Mitchell front. Uh, DeAndre Ayton... We do have news on that front, so we'll talk about that briefly today. Still nothing more on Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. There was a whole hullabaloo over whether Kyrie was going to play in the Drew League on Sunday. LeBron and DeMar DeRozan were there. I know that. I think Montrez Harrell might have been there as well. Kyrie was not. But I guess he was in L.A. working with Lakers coach or I think Phil Handy. It was a camp he was putting on or something. I don't know. We're in... Uh, rumor season right now with all that stuff but let's start with DeAndre Ayton and then I do have some things I want to talk about this week uh it's a little again I thought maybe we could get into some buckets but that's going to require these these big pieces to fall into place I don't want to make an entire list and then have to redo it here because it takes a long time to do that live on a podcast it's a little different than if I you know take my own list and just recite it to you guys but that's terrible radio and I think there's value in you guys kind of hearing as we go through all of this stuff. Because if you recall, last year, we did our buckets, which again, for those that are the uninitiated, which I'm hoping is actually quite a few of you that uh, weren't here for the last off-season of episodes, for the uninitiated, the buckets, as we call them, is how I like to sort players going into the draft. And it's kind of what we were talking about going through the results from last year, which was, you know, Jokic is in his own bucket. And then there were like nine dudes that were in the next bucket down. Meaning any one of these guys could be at the top of their own bucket. It's a little bit crazy that we expect websites and expect experts to give an exact numerical list of how players are going to end up on the year because, frankly, a lot of guys are really close to one another. Especially as you work your way down the board. I mean, once you get into the... Forget the, like, you know, the top 10. So, you know, there's there's an argument to be made that you can separate those guys out a little bit. But once you get to, like, geez, even pick 40, the separation between players is... Almost, I mean, it's not infinitesimally small. There's a tiny separation there, but it is razor thin. Darius Garland was number 39 on a per-game basis this last year. DeMondis Sabonis was number 40 per game this last year. I think we can say definitively 
that if Demonis Sabonis had, you know, in his last game in Sacramento before they shut him down, had gone for like 25, 14, and 8 with three steals, he probably would have been in front. I mean, that, like, you're talking about over an entire season, the difference between one good game and one bad game with these guys. So that, that's, that's nothing. And that's not how it is at the top. There's, there's more separation there. But the reason I bring that up is, you know, first of all, it, it's insane to say, like, who's going to be number 19 and who's going to be 20. They're the same. It's the same. So to me, it actually makes more sense to put these players into groupings. The start and end point of which are a little bit arbitrary, but at the same time, you're looking at groupings of players that have certain ability to get to a particular place on the board. Can this player get to number 15? Fine. That's kind of where we set our cutoffs. I wanted to start getting into that here in mid to late July. It's possible we need to delay that into August. But again, we've got time. And by the time we get to mid-August, I want to start looking at really early drafts that are happening. There's some happening already, but they're, you know, for better or worse, they're a little bit silly. Like, who, who cares where Kevin Durant is going right now? If he gets traded, it changes. If KD ends up in Toronto, uh, and OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes go back to Brooklyn, like, who cares where Kyrie is going right now? Who cares where Donovan Mitchell is going right now? If these guys get moved, things change. I don't want to say dramatically, because if you're one of the highest usage players in the NBA, if you go to a team that doesn't also have another high usage player, then fine, like there's going to be a sideways pointing arrow, but there's too much potential for f- the the whole board getting jostled. You know, throw their pinball machine into tilt here? So instead, I thought I'd pioneer... It's not really pioneering. It's, I'm sure it's, it's stuff that's been done before. But at least on this podcast, we're going to pioneer a new segment today that I think I'd like to carry throughout this week that focuses heavily on the players at the top of the draft. But first, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris. <laughs> ailing. Your ailing pal, Dan Bespris, here on Fantasy NBA Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. Sportsethos.com is the website. Ethos Fantasy BK is the basketball Twitter feed, which I actually saw a couple new followers heading on over there, maybe because of Summer League news being posted as it happens, players having success at it, which, of course, only serves to screw up ADPs for the coming season. Yeah, that's it. That's all it does. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, if you're a new listener, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or... Hey, I wonder if Dan from Sports Ethos finally works as a Google now. Dan from Let's try it while we're live on air. Dan from Sports Ethos. Uh, it does. That's me at the top, but it's not my Twitter feed. If you still Google Dan from Hoopball, I think my Twitter pops up. Yeah, it's like the third, third or fourth result. Oh, good, a LinkedIn page. That's useful. <laughs> nope. Anyway, if you Google Dan from Hoopball, you can still find me on Twitter that way. Because, uh, look, my last name is not super easy to spell. It is, actually. It's only seven letters, but it's not super easy to spell when you're hearing it said by someone with a congested nose on a podcast. This is where you need the video feed. You can see the 
could write it out at the bottom there. Very easy to copy because it's only seven letters, but very complicated to hear over the phone. Such is the life of the Bespris clan. So let's talk DeAndre Ayton, and frankly, let's talk Suns, because as this signing now gets locked into place, and th there's a lot of subtext to it, because the Suns didn't want to offer Ayton the max that the retaining team could have offered, which is more, by the way, than what he got, because other teams, the max when you change teams is lower. It's part of the collective bargaining agreement, teams trying to make it a little more feasible for teams to retain players. They can offer them more money, so there's more incentive to stay put, and then, you know, fans love when players are there for a long time and loyalty and all that good stuff. On paper, it's a good idea. It doesn't always work. Now, on the Aiton front, yes, he's getting paid 130-some-odd million dollars, which, like, you can't shake a stick at that, and I know there's a lot of this discussion going on right now with Juan Soto on the baseball side. But, in kind of a similar deal to what's going on with Juan Soto, we all see a big number, our mind looks at it, and, and, uh, and accurately assesses it as, quote-unquote, big number, but there's nuance to it. Just in the case of Juan Soto, the Nationals are offering him a, a ton of money, $440 million over 15 years, but in terms of annual salary, that's way lower than what he would get on the open market. And kind of similarly here on the on the DeAndre Ayton front, Phoenix did not, they chose not to offer him the highest annual value, which would have been the max extension for a home team, a rookie max, I think, here, and instead waited for another team to offer their max and then just matched it. And if you don't think Aiton's camp looked at that and said, you know, terrific, I'm getting a whole bunch of money, this is great, but you guys figured out a way, you know, through restricted free agency to kind of lowball me a little bit and lock me into a salary that if you had just retained me, oh, natural, it would have been higher. We know his name was in sign-and-trade rumors up the wazoo, tons of them. We had heard coming out of Phoenix that they didn't feel like DeAndre Ayton was their answer and all that good stuff. So like, this, this matters because, well, first of all, he can't be traded to the Pacers this year. He has a no-trade clause for the first year in this type of deal. But they can move him starting in mid-January. They might have to. And it's possible that once the season gets going and the Suns win some games, because they will, they're still going to be a good team. They're going to be a very good regular season team. Maybe not as great you know, if Chris Paul loses a step in any way. Maybe they take a small step back, but then you kind of also hope other guys maybe take a small step forward. Regardless, maybe some of this stuff just sort of floats off into the ether as they win ballgames. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't, though. Maybe Aiton remembers that the Suns only kind of wanted him. Wanted him enough to let somebody else offer him a smaller number and then match it. And it's still a lot of money, but emotion matters. The way things develop matters. 
If the Suns had just come out and said, hey, here's their offer to you, it would be very different than saying, hey, go get an offer sheet and see what we do with it. Put the onus on him. Tell him, hey, it's up to you to make sure that you stay here with us. You could sell him a bill of goods. You could say, hey, we're going to match whatever you get out there, man. That's how much we care for you. But at the same time, you know, his agent is not a moron. And maybe he can sell it to Aiton as, hey, look, like this is just the way business runs in the NBA. Uh, you know, you still got a really big deal and you get to stay put, which is cool. So try to take a deep breath, swallow your pride and not worry about it. But maybe it turns into something. I... I don't know, and, and I don't know about enough about the machinations uh, behind the scenes in the NBA to know what will happen come January. I do know that DeAndre Ayton was number 43 on a per-game basis last year with what I thought was a relatively low steals and blocks count last season. So, in my mind, and again, I don't, you know, he was playing for a contract last year, but it wasn't like his season numbers were substantially different than his career numbers. In fact, he was just a little bit more banged up than usual. He played in 69 out of 72 games the previous year, only 58 out of 82 this season. But his block rate was way down. His steal rate was pretty much right on the his career mark. And so then you look at it, you're like, okay, well, this is a guy that should be, he was only at .7 blocks this year. And in his career, in about 30 minutes of ballgame, he's at about one. So you would have thought he would have been Near one again. And that alone, where, again, the other stuff stayed relatively constant. He got a, a little bit more usage uh, on the offensive side this season, which, again, do, do we attribute that to uh, an improvement in an offensive game or just, like, that's the way things developed? I don't know that it, it totally matters. Certainly his field goal percent went way up once Phoenix got Chris Paul in the mix. Either way, the one thing you look at with Aiden, you're like, all right, if this dude can give a normal level effort this coming season, the blocks should move back from 0. .7 to 1.0. And if everything else held exactly as it was, and you turn blocks into a slight positive, because one block per game, uh, which again, I, it's not great for a big man, but it... It gets him to, like, you know, it's a value. It becomes a positive impact thing. He moves up the board. He goes from 43 to probably mid-30s. That's it. That's all it would take is turning that stat from a neutral into a positive. And if anything else comes with it, now you're talking about someone that actually has, like, you know, mid-third round per game potential with on the durability side we just sort of don't know he was hyper durable his, his rookie season not at all the COVID year uh very durable the the shortened year and then not at all this season so he's alternated but I don't you know we saw that from Rudy Gobert it's it's does feel a little bit like it's up to chance but we knew the Suns wouldn't go into the season with nobody at their center spot and when nothing else was materializing they kind of had no choice but to make sure that they kept Aiton. And now they'll do what they can to kind of keep him a little bit happy. And hey, maybe free throw goes from 74.5 up to 77. So there are these little paths for him to go from early 40s per game into mid-30s per game. 
and to that end, now you're just guessing on durability. Where he goes, I don't know. I think people saw Aiton this last year and were disappointed because not only did he not get anywhere near his per-game target, but he was also really dinged up. I have zero clue where he gets drafted this year because he's been going like around 20 for a couple years in a row. I doubt he does again. He probably slides back a little bit. But then how much... That's the real question. How much? Does he slide back far enough for us to go take a shot at him? Like, does he slide back towards mid-third? And he becomes kind of an, uh, I say an upside play, because I still don't think the per game gets much beyond that. But durability, the previous year, even though his per game wasn't very good, his durability got him into the mid-second round because he just played. That's how big of a deal that becomes. All right, so here's the new thing I wanted to try today and then maybe throughout the week, depending on how it goes. Because, and it, it pertains to bucket number two from what we pulled out of our data from last week. Bucket number one, of course, is Nikola Jokic. Nobody's making any kind of argument to move anybody ahead of him in a fantasy draft. He will go first in almost every format this coming season and for good reason because even with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. set to come back, Jokic had such a gap between himself and anybody else in fantasy that removing even a little bit of usage doesn't matter. Instead, it was bucket number two that I thought was of great interest, which was effectively, you know, looking back at this last season, about nine guys, give or take. And, you know, you could make your argument as to whether or not Luka belonged in there in nine cat leagues or Giannis belonged there in nine cat leagues. By the way, he did ultimately belong in there. I didn't think he would, and he performed better than I expected. But overall, that list was Luka, Steph, James Harden, Giannis, KD, Dame, Cat, Jason Tatum, and Joel Embiid. That was two through ten. ADPs this last season. And I don't fully disagree with any of them besides probably Luka who, I mean, there's just literally nothing more he can do on the counting side side of the ledger. He needs to fix other parts of his game for him to get into that grouping in 9-cat. And then, you know, as we talked about before, Trey Young on a durability side did manage to get up into that group. LeBron, per game, DeJounte Murray, Kyrie, those are guys on the per game side that got up into that group. And, you know, you can kind of fudge the numbers a little bit to put whatever you want at kind of the end of that bunch. But what I want to do this week is start to make a case for and against some of the names at the top of the board. And we'll look at, there's a little bit of data as to who's going in that next grouping, even already, these very early drafts. It's basically like Luka and Giannis, they're always up there. Steph, Harden, Cat, Embiid, those six are sort of always in the top group. And then there's a little bit of hesitation on the others. Like Tatum probably is in that group. Uh, KD is probably in that group. And then you kinda, you're juggling people between like, is Dame going to be healthy? Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo Ball. These are guys that are up there as well uh, in that, that second chunk. And the reason I wanted to do this is because it, it seems to me 
that any one of those players has a claim to be the number two player in fantasy this year. So how, as we get to draft day, how do we decide which way we're going? I am not giving the answer this week. I'm not. And frankly, I don't have the answer this week. Because things are going to move between now and opening day based on things like health, cat, having Gobert next to him. Does that change the way things are drafted? KD, where is he playing? Is he playing at the start of this coming season? But what we can do here is we can take a look at the numbers. We can take a look at what we think kind of the story is around particular players and make a case as to whether or not they belong in that upper slot. Now, you guys know how I feel about Luka. Um, so I don't want this to, to be like the Luka bashing hour. But we're going to do Luka because he's probably going to be in the top couple. Now, we're going to do Steph today. And we'll work our way down the board, just one player at a time, piecing together whether or not they actually belong in that top group. Luka Doncic. Apologies for the deep breath. Again, I can't breathe today. <laughs> Luka finished at number 28 on a per-game basis last year, played in 65 out of 82 games, played much better in the latter stages of the season than in the first over the last 40 games, so basically the second half of the year, Luka was number 19 on a per-game basis. And that stuck through. Last 25 games, he was number 20, so right in that same window. Uh, and then over the last month, he was number 19. So he's unbelievably consistent after he shook off a little bit of the... I'll try to be kind about this, but he was looking a little bit plush at the beginning of the year when he was sitting outside the top 60. But then after that, he was sort of coasting, right around number 20. The rest of the way. And that, I think, is probably where you can plop him. Because over those final 40 games, get this. I mean, these numbers are absurd. Luka averaged 31 points. 31. Which is among the league leaders. 3.43s. 9.7 rebounds. 8.6 assists. And even had 1.2 steals in that mix. So he actually had enough steals to have a positive impact. He did it on 47% from the field, so he wasn't breaking you with field goal percent. 22 shots per game, but four and a half turnovers and 75% of the foul line on almost nine attempts per game. So if you're looking at Luka and you're like, how does this dude get into the next bucket? It's free throws because turnovers aren't going anywhere. He's going to be a four turnover a game guy. Dallas still doesn't have another person that's good enough to take that load off of him. They tried. It didn't work out. Could it have been Jalen Brunson if he stuck around? Probably not. This is this is Luka's team, and you're probably looking at one more year where they don't have... And don't start with me on Christian Wood. He's not, he's not that guy. Where they don't have a running mate, and then they'll probably try to make a big splash next offseason. That's the way things have always looked. They've got money coming off the books. There'll be some free agents out there. Maybe they swing a trade. It'll be a little bit easier than this last little push. So turnovers, even if they came down, you know, you're talking about like 4.4 coming down to maybe 4, which is fine, but it's not going to move him all that much. It's the free throws. It's the free throws because he's hyper elite in scoring, threes, rebounds, assists. That's pretty awesome. 
terrific in four categories, but there just can't be that one sizable negative unless you're Giannis, basically. And even then, he trimmed his down a little bit. The reason Giannis is able to do what he does is because he's also a positive in blocks. In addition to scoring, rebounding, decent positive assists, he gets steals. You know, threes is lackluster for him. Luka wins that battle, but the big-time field goal edge. These things all add up, and, you know, a full turnover lower. But we're not doing Giannis today. We're doing Luka. Does Luka have a chance to be the number two player in all of fantasy basketball? The answer is a pretty resounding no, unless you believe that his free throw number magically jumps from 75 to 83. That needs to become, at the very least, neutral at 80%. And I just can't predict that based on what we've seen so far. He's had month-long stretches where he shot 80% at the free throw line, but it just never sticks for the whole way through, the full haul. In addition, 47% from the field was a really good 40-game stretch for him. There's no guarantee that that stays as high as it was. Now, if he comes into the season in better shape, then maybe we can expect that that'll be the thing. But then here's the other the issue. of I'm like, even if Luka gets up to 80% at the free throw line and eliminates that negative, you're still probably talking about a guy that can't quite clear that kind of top six. Which, yeah, I mean, that's a heck of a lot better if you're spending your number two pick you and you get someone in the mid-first round. That's fine than spending your number two pick and getting someone in the mid-second round. But you're drafting... And this is a little bit of a dumb way to phrase it because anybody you pick at number two, you're drafting them at their ceiling, but you're drafting them at that very distant point at the end of the bell curve that happens, you know, 1% of the time, as opposed to what you should be targeting at the number two pick is something that might happen like 15 to 20% of the time. Oh, this guy has a chance, a legitimate chance to beat out some of the other names on that board. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I'm going to pivot here into Steph Curry and say that there's a much larger chance that he does it, but I don't actually think that's going to happen either. I could certainly make a better case for it because Steph, this season, got off to an excellent start and then petered out a little bit. He got hurt, and it's very easy to see him making that flying leap forward because dude was number six per game despite shooting basically a career low from the field at 43.7%. I mean, if that comes back up near where he had been for the better part of half a decade to like 47 to 50%, he's right in that top three mix. It's an e- That's a pretty easy jump. I don't know if he gets all the way to Joel Embiid, but it certainly jumps him up back towards like number four. And then let's say he was healthy this last year instead of having the, the hand thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could make a pretty reasonable argument that that he'd be in that mix. So you make it's an easier argument to make over uh, Luca, but at the same time, I see a whole bunch of red flags on the Steph front as well. Most importantly, dude just won the championship. There is and always has been a championship hangover. He got his Finals MVP. He was outstanding against Boston. He was very good pretty much the entire way through the playoffs. He's got nothing to prove again. 
This last season was the Warriors have something to prove year. And things were kind of going according to plan on that front until he got hurt and, you know, the, the field goal percent ended up very low by Steph's standards. But there's just no reason to push him this coming season. What are the odds of Steph Curry being the number two player in fantasy at the end of this year on a per-game basis? It's non-zero. It's certainly higher than Luka's. But he only had to take 19 shots a game this last season, and there's sort of no reason for that number to go up as Jordan Poole continues to get better. And Wiggins looked better in the in the postseason. And Clay maybe has his legs a little bit more underneath him this coming year. We don't know. I, you know, Clay may have sort of maxed out on what he's going to be after two devastating injuries, maybe. But they're not going to lean more heavily on Steph after winning the championship. This is the, okay, you know, we did it. Now, we again, we just have to make sure our guys are healthy come playoff time. The, the regular season is just a bump in the road. We don't need home court the whole way through. We don't need to, like, there's just no reason to push us like that. We're going to have to just flip a little bit of a switch come playoff time. So I would fade a lot of the older guys on the Warriors this coming season. Maybe not Clay, because I do still think he's got this, I, I need to show everybody that I can get back. But, you know, Draymond, Steph in particular, they're fadeable this year. Makes me think of that line from nothing but a G thing. Unfadeable? No, not at all. So if I'm drafting two, am I taking Luca or Steph? The answer is probably not. But we're not going to know for sure until we break down more of these candidates at number two. So this week here on Fantasy NBA Today, it is candidates for number two week. Let's see if we can isolate a couple of names that get into that next bucket or if it really is a straight free-for-all. Hope you guys are easing into the week nicely. Something happened here with my volume. I don't know what it was. Hopefully it didn't disrupt things on your end. I think it should be okay. In any event, uh, give me a follow on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. I'd love to talk fantasy sports because, damn it, it's mid-July and I'm starting to get the itch. Had the itch about two months ago, but now it's starting to get a little gross. Hopefully I can breathe by tomorrow, but if not, you know a show is still coming. Have a great Monday. One way or another, we'll talk to you then.